Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 256, driven by mandated romance. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, Toby Halligan. Have, have you not listened to the beginning of this show, Toby? Uh, no. Right, because in the beginning of the show, I, just, I say everyone's name. So I'll say my name, yeah. then I'll say to my left. No, I, I wanted to vary it up. Right. I'm, I'm challenging. Right. See, this is why I was upset that John Richards was sick. Because, uh, you know, then you just start you just start varying it up and then Brett would just stop music suddenly. I've gotten like, too big for my Crocs. You have you have gotten too... Uh, Crocs just should not be allowed. To my right, the man who stops music suddenly, it's Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Given that uh, it was all going a bit pear-shaped, I thought I was going to do an effect on the little DJ... CD deck there and, uh, and I that the was, wrong button. That I effect was held. stopping it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Strictly, nice. strictly professional here, folks. Yes, yes. Which is the uh, the name of your next cancelled ABC show, <laughs> I think, Toby. You go straight, straight to strictly professional. Yep. Uh, in uh, episode 256 of Box Cutters, we are talking all about TV, as always. Something well, different. Well, are you sick of that, Brett? No. Are you sick of the fact that Box Cutter... Be, because... No, of course not. Of course Because not. it's five and a half years now. Um, uh, you, you know, no, I'm not sick of that. Okay, good. No. Good. Like, good. Y- you can be. That's fine. We'll do something else. We'll make it about Toby's clothes. Or or mime. So we could do... Yeah, we could do we it. We could do a podcast on All mime. about mime. That'd be... That's a niche that I don't think has been filled yet. That yeah. would be a special treat for the video podcast viewers. It there would. There is no video podcast. Uh, we... You know, T- Toby Halligan uh, gave me a call on uh, on Friday and said, uh, we, we can speak to Chris Chapman, the chair of the ACMA, in half an hour. And I went... Yep. And so uh, that turned into an interview with the chair of the Australian Communications and Media Authority, which we've wanted to have for five and a half years. So, so it wasn't really that hard. Uh, no, apparently all you need to do is get someone who has worked in government before to ask the right questions. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, Kudos. Good work. Magic touch. Yeah. Hmm. You totally got the magic touch. What can I say? This is this is the only reason they're allowing me to talk this early in the podcast. I think <laughs> I've been rewarded. Uh, no, it's actually the only reason is because John Richards is sick, Toby. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Anyway, I so I, d- I did that interview on Friday, and we'll we'll bring you that later on this episode, which is pretty exciting mm-hmm. uh, to say. I was shooting my pants a little bit beforehand uh, is an understatement. Yeah, I really? Was, yeah, because it's not like they've got any power or anything. Well, yeah, but you know what? Half an hour. Half an hour for a, for an interview. With I haven't so done many, that. So many possible avenues to. I to haven't. I haven't done on. that. I haven't done that in a long time. And then trying to yeah, trying to work out what the angle is going to be, where I was going to go with it. Uh, it it yeah. it's largely to do with uh, the David Campbell uh, uh, result that they had last week yep. with the. Uh, but we'll talk about that later mm. on in the show. Mm. Yep. Uh, we're also going to talk about Ben Hilton Life on Planet Earth. Uh, because it's it's still worth talking about. Yeah. Still. If yeah. you saw it last week, you'll know exactly why. If you didn't see it last week, then you'll find out exactly why. Yeah. Uh, we've got an interview with Emma Magenta, who is the creator of the new ABC 
animated series for grown-ups. Oh, so it's not on ABC3. No, it's on ABC1. It's called The Gradual Demise of Philippa Finch. Uh, She'll be talking to us about uh, a storybook writer who creates an animated TV show. So is it a bit like uh, Look Both Ways? The feature film, Australian feature film with William McGuinness in it and uh, his partner who directed and uh, made all the animations of each of the uh, terror scenarios where they could uh, die, getting eaten by a crocodile or getting run over. and She's just completely paranoid about everything that can possibly go wrong. Yeah, Brett, it's exactly like that. It is? It's, in fact, it's just that cut up into little bits and someone else has put her name on it. I'm pretty sure, though, some of the characters have little wings on them, don't they? Some of the characters in Philippa Finch yes. are birds. Ah. Yes. Ah. Hence... I didn't look that closely at the website. Hence the little wings. Uh, so, uh, Emma Magenta will be talking to us about that later on. Uh, Brett will be continuing his, uh, his questioning in a field of ignorance. Because you, you know nothing about it other than having seen the website. Uh, no, no. no. Is, uh, Philippa Finch is, is uh, to look both ways uh, like uh, those funny guys from that Toyota ad are to the footy show. You know, Simon Curry and, and Simon Curry. Yeah, no. Stephen Curry and, and that other guy. I'm in two minds here, Toby, because <laughs> on, on the one hand, I could just let Brett keep talking and... And that in itself is entertaining enough yeah. for me. So where is he going to go from there? Yeah. How, how is he going to draw lines of comparison yeah. between uh, these two things? Philip Finch is a lot more, you know, close to your heart, whereas uh, uh, Look Both Ways was on a little the, bit, on uh, the other you know, hand, commercial. And, and it's like... It's on like, the other hand, Toby, I don't have to let him do anything because he'll just continue. Yeah, it's like a spoken word Kandinsky painting, but, <laughs> but less, t- less organised. Yeah. 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 yeah, nice. I nice. thought you were going to call me Candida. I, I, I don't know what that means. Uh, we've also got uh, one thing. It's an STI. We've got some pork. Okay. As always, though, we're going to kick things off with the Box Cutters News. Look, we've got a pretty packed show. Yep. Uh, so, there are a couple of things that I just want to cover off quickly. And one thing that I want to know a lot more about, Toby, mm. uh, the thing that I want to cover off quickly is Channel 7 uh, confronted Tony Abbott, a Channel 7 reporter confronted Tony, yep. Tony Abbott during the week uh, about Tony Abbott saying shit happens uh, in the very broad sense re- regarding yep. everyone knows about this story. No one much cares. Is that, is That's that? pretty much it. But also, it's all Channel 7 all the time this week. Yeah. Because uh, then also the ACMA released their report on uh, the David Campbell uh, privacy breach mm-hmm. so, so scenario. So, you think those those two instances from Channel 7 are, are equivalent? Is that what you're saying? No. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying they're two separate things. Yeah. Josh, are you but saying But they're both that, Channel 7. Are you saying that David Campbell and Tony Abbott are... Are linked in some way that they are the same person. I don't want to start rumours about Tony Abbott and sex on site premises. S- okay, so I just wanted to. I just wanted to be. Clear. I don't want to do that in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, are there it, sex on site premises there, in Afghanistan? There, there may be. I don't know. Okay. Our troops have been there for a long time. We're not saying anything about that. No. Uh, 
So, no, Brett, I'm not saying they're the same thing. I'm saying that all our news relates to Channel yep. 7. Uh, and there's a general question, certainly, about the ethics of Channel 7 and the way they approach certain kinds of stories. Because I think, like, the so, story... So, you're Tony, saying that, that what happened this week was questionable? Well, the story Riley's with Tony Abbott part. turned yes. around very quick. Well, Mark Riley is to journalism what Carl Sanderlands is to children's counselling, you know? Like, he's... <laughs> He is, he is a terrible journalist because it was ultimately the way he confronted Abbott, even though Abbott, uh, they knew like two and a half hours before and they'd been trying to stop the footage being released for three months. So they knew it was coming. It ultimately was unfair. Uh, the reason I don't really care about it is because I think it's typical of Abbott, but that's kind of outside the scope of analysing TV. Which, yeah. The, they didn't have to say yes to the interview. The, it, it's, it seemed like his, he his was... media it seemed, could have properly briefed him. The, he could have had an answer to the question. the the problem The problem isn't that he didn't have an answer to the question. Like, and I don't care about whether or not he was briefed. Uh, the The problem is that Channel Seven's uh, newsroom seems to have gotten into a habit of bullying. Yeah, that uh, that Tony Abbott thing was outright bullying. Hmm. It was taking it was taking something. Obviously, out of context, and and putting uh, an obviously unintended spin. But it's really easy to explain, especially with two and a half hours notice. Uh, it it should it, never have come up. It might be. It is just, I think, very easy for a journalist to make a politician look bad with the angle of their questioning. It was actually it another was so bad that he looked. Well, look, I, I think and Abbott reacted. Abbott reacted poorly to it. There was another example, actually, even though this is a radio example of Neil Mitchell and Julia Gillard. And Mitchell was just extremely aggressive in the way he interviewed Julia Gillard. This was regarding the flood levy, mm. and he was asking questions like, "Well, Prime Minister, you know, you've wasted our money previously. How do we know you're not going to waste this money?" And there's no way Julia Gillard can answer that. Uh, she handled it very well, and ultimately she went up telling Mitchell to stop patronising her because he was being very, very rude and saying, just don't waste the money, just don't waste the money, Julia. But there's no way for her to look good in that environment. Like, it actually does take a huge amount of self-control for a politician. So you're saying facing it's kind of equivalent to the, the, uh, the question, so when did you stop beating your wife? Well, I think there's definitely, like a journalist has so much control of how a story is pitched and uh, in the context of Tony Abbott and that story and the sensitivity of it, Abbott genuinely was placed in an unfair position. I think he handled it badly. I think he was trying to decide whether he should run or headbutt Mark Riley. Which is, which is fair enough. I yeah. think everyone wanted to headbutt Mark Riley I think they at, did. That, at that point because the... The other thing is, and, and the thing that upset me most about this, is that Mark Riley made Tony Abbott look human. Mm. And and that was the last thing I wanted for Tony Abbott. Yep. Uh, but the 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 idea that the that Channel 7 are using their power to create news rather than report yep. on news. It's a bit more of that stunt journalism. Yeah. yeah. Which is the, the sort of stuff that Mike Munro tried back at ACA... In the in the mid nineties, and for me, it, it, it's really weird that this popped up in the news and that it wasn't as part of today tonight. Mm. Uh, like it's it's an odd thing to put into a news bulletin. Well, news news around the news around the board has gotten dodgy, mm. and uh, a head of uh, head of the Melbourne Channel Nine newsroom at the moment has come from a current affair. He wasn't uh, he's not news as as news should be. Was uh, that because he was a very quick uh, replacement for... Was it Michael Venus? Possibly. Uh, Quite possibly, the, yeah. 
uh, who, who stood, stood down uh, very, very suddenly, it the, seems, like, late last year. Yeah, stood down's an interesting uh, way to got, put it. But got stood down, left, was, in yeah. whatever way. Uh, the, the problem is that news generally is, is going this way, and I think, uh, I think Channel 10 took a really interesting, uh, interesting angle when they decided to make you know, five hours of news in a row. On, on their main channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, five hours might be an exaggeration, but it's not a huge exaggeration. Uh, but they're not doing everything they could be doing with with news either. I mean, the, the problem is we're just going for sensationalism over reporting the story. And in this case particularly, Channel 7 were making news rather than reporting on the news. And I think that over a long time, politicians and media reporters have kind of baited each other more more and more down that path of, you know, politicians serve up sound bites and so nobody actually talks of anything uh, with with any kind of depth at all. And so the reporters are kind of pushing more and more for that and so it, it just mm. – it's a slippery slope really. And we've come to this point where, you, you know, all the way through, a can- through an election campaign you really don't get – proper reporting at all. You don't, well, you don't is, really get an idea of how politicians are answering the questions that need to be answered. The, the really interesting thing with the ACMA result last week was that they said uh, that the uh, Channel 7 report uh, about David Campbell was in the public interest. And, uh, and that caused what was a that lot... That caused a lot of controversy. That was the footage of him coming out of a sex on site premises... Uh, which outed him as a gay man. Uh, he was the New South Wales Transport Minister at the time, had previously been the police minister. And this was uh, by a reporter who had previously been passed over as a Labor staffer for uh, head of their media I think, department. Uh, no, and, he, he and was, seemed a bit of payback at the time. He was, I think, he was a member of, uh, of Yemmer's yes. uh, media team. Yep. Yeah, he he worked for he worked. But he got passed Mariana. over for the the top position in that. Went and started working for Channel Seven. Knew about the inside gossip and, that this is what he did, and, got this, and basically stalked him until they got him on camera. And the and the and the controversy was that uh, he was caught on camera coming out of coming out of these premises, uh, and and then was made aware of the footage, then resigned, and then Channel Seven aired the footage. Yeah. And uh, the original justification Channel 7 had for it being a public issue was that he'd been using a taxpayer-funded government car mm. and that this was an illegitimate use of the car. And it turned out not to be a fact. Yes. It turned out that um, it wasn't actually a breach. He was using the car, but it wasn't a breach but of it was, code of conduct. It was, perfectly, it was a legitimate use. He, mm, perfectly he left legitimate. his driver. And, yeah. Mm. Uh, so... So that's, again, Channel 7 making the news, but in this case, having the footage causing him to resign and then uh, and then putting the footage on air yeah. as a result of his resignation to say he resigned and he resigned because of this footage and it's because we showed him this footage. Yeah. Uh, and it becomes this, this vicious circle of, well, what is the actual reason for him resigning? Yeah. I mean, Because it was payback. The journalist wanted to... to Okay, exact well, revenge. That answers the vicious circle. There's no vicious circle now. No. Broken circle, broken revenge. payback, revenge. No, it's it's. Do you not understand how it's a circle? Because he resigned because of the footage, and they were allowed to show the footage because he resigned. 
This is oh, from oh, as, as far as justification. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yep. Yep. So that's how. Toby. Yeah. The news I really want to hear about are the My, my Kitchen Rules death threats. Yes. Yes. What can you tell us about those? I, I, so... They're not undeserved? They... <laughs> <laughs> is that the news it, there? Has it, come from, has it come from the cast of uh, Conviction Kitchen? Because, uh, <laughs> because My Kitchen Rules was the, the reason given that uh, Conviction Kitchen didn't, uh, didn't come on air? Um, no, I'm just... Just smash, smash it! Smash that computer until it comes up. Apparently it was uh, death up. threats against the Tasmanian couple, yes. from what I read. Sorry, I actually didn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, overnight. <laughs> so to- Toby's not used to the talking. Um, uh, yeah. But, but and, this, and he's this, this as a internet. product of, uh, of, you know, Channel 7 trying to, trying to d- hype uh, state versus state rivalry. So where, where did the death threats come from? I am not sure. They were made uh, online, I believe, and ultimately. So it's a Facebook group. But, the, but so this was uh, with reference as well to the couples show, and they actually wound up getting calls to their mobile, um, which I think was something that kind of took it beyond somebody tracked down. Because obviously, previously on these kinds of cooking shows, there have been like death threats made, um, uh, like on the online forums, and I guess it's kind of something that's a little bit new to these kinds of shows where shows build people up to be villains and other people to be heroes. And so... What are the death threateners wanting to happen? Why? Are they they just wanting this couple to to get out of the competition? To die. I think that's... that's, (laughs) Generally, the death threat is is about death. But Uh, no, it's alert. I don't know. Is it meant to exact something? Do they actually want anything? Or or is is it just hyperbole? Are they just saying... Uh, hyperbole. Uh, hyperbole. <laughs> just going, you people are scum. I can't yeah, I detest you on my screen. Yeah, hi- hyperbole. It's the um, the winners of the Super Bowl playoffs <laughs> against each other. Uh, that's the uh, hockey versus the uh, Ho- hockey versus NFL. NFL. Yeah. yeah, that's the hyperbole. Right, guy. It is excellent. Uh, so the, the, the individual here was Melody Maddock, though. But um, and yeah, they got a call on their mobile. So I've just finally actually managed to track down the story. The husband's uh, mobile number got tracked down. Yep. And there's also several hate pages that have been set up on Facebook. So I guess... Which happens. It does. But it's very common now, I think, the Facebook problem. But to to hate... uh, Like, does anyone really feel that passionate about my kitchen rules? Well, apparently they do. I mean, there were people who hate... When we had uh, Beauty and the Geek Kids on, Mm. uh, and there were people who hated uh, Jenna uh, from from Beauty and the Geek... Mm -hmm. uh, and just from being being on our show, or from the show, the, from, from, from the, the show, show itself, or just from Facebook, or who the hell knows? But who cares that much? Who cares enough to start? A, you know, I I don't have enough time to update the box cutters page on Facebook, which yeah. is facebook dot com slash box cutters. But to but to actually a lot of set up too. Well, clearly, clearly a lot of people do. And they're this just is, not this watching is, enough TV. This is what Channel 7 have actually been looking to engender, to get people that emotionally committed to the show that they'll, that they'll go that far. Isn't hey, that what they really want out of their viewers? Yeah, I think if you want like, to... Like, I'm not saying that Channel 7 want death threats against their contestants, but they do want an emotional engagement from the viewers. Yeah, if you want, like, a measurement of how many kind of tragic people there are out there who are willing to take these kinds of things too seriously, go to Andrew Bolt's blog and read the comment section. Oh, oh. Because I think... Or the comment section of most major newspapers, there's a, a significant proportion of the Australian population is insane and really <laughs> angry. 
really, really angry. And so... Thank you, Dr. Halligan. Well, it's not a formal diagnosis, but I'm pretty sure of it. There's a lot of evidence. I'm not sure about your percentages. I... I, I think it might just be a limited number of trolls that are getting around a lot. That, that might be, oh, I didn't really give percentages, but anyway. <laughs> you said a majority. I, I, no, no, I didn't actually. I, I didn't, but never mind. Um, so ultimately, yeah, My Kitchen Rules. If, if someone dies, though, would that be bad or good for the show? That's the that's well, the, the funeral episode would, would rate through the roof. That's the, question, that's the question Channel 7 executives will be asking themselves. And that <laughs> is the Box Cutters news. Hi there, I'm... Miff Warhurst. That's better than I could do it. And I'm from Spicks and Specs, and you are listening to Box Cutters. Say that, guys. Box Cutters. Box Cutters. <laughs> Last Friday, we were given some time to speak with ACMA chair Chris Chapman, and... Uh, th- there was some controversy that we spoke about during the, the news uh, last week about uh, the report that ACMA released about David Campbell, former Transport Minister of New South Wales, and his resignation, and the Channel 7. Was, just listen back to the news. It's just 10 minutes ago. Just 10 minutes ago. Uh, so, the, the controversy occurred because uh, the ACMA found that Channel 7 was not in breach of the Code of Practice with respect to privacy, because the footage aired explained why Mr. Campbell resigned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's that's kind of a, a very said, basic summary. The footage of, was the reason why he resigned. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, it is it is a very muddy situation, to, to be sure. Before we got to that, though, uh, he described in great detail... It's, uh, Chris Chapman described in in great detail the the process that the ACMA goes through to hear a complaint. So I'm just going to summarise some of that. You'll you remember from previous episodes of Box Cutters and our discussions of ACMA that uh, the complainant has to communicate in writing, either in a letter or an email, to a broadcaster and clearly state that the communication is a complaint and describe the nature of the complaint. Basically, I'm upset and complaining because, and then just go on and talk about it. That's, that's all that a broadcaster needs to receive to have an official complaint about something that they have aired. The broadcaster then has a certain amount of time in which they can respond to the complainant, and once the complainant receives the response, then they have the option to uh, refer the matter to ACMA if they're unhappy with the response. They're dissatisfied with that response. Yep. And that's where Mr Chapman picks up the discussion. We do something like two to 300 investigations a year on, on um, content-related matters under the Broadcasting Act, and the overwhelming number of those uh, investigations and the David Campbell report the other day was as a result of one of those investigations is instigated upon the the receipt of a complaint. So we get the complaint, we verify it with the complainant right to the broadcasters, we seek their views, there might be the opportunity for further and additional materials. We'll then uh, digest that, Uh, staff look at it, they start to uh, firm up 
what their draft investigation report might look like. Depending on um, some criteria, it may be reviewed by the uh, authority or it may be dealt with under delegation. Again, a majority of those investigations are dealt under delegation by staff members uh, working in teams, but if they have um, some interesting precedent value, they are going to be difficult in their decisions or they have some notoriety for other reasons and they're just some of the criteria, then it will be referred to the authority. Now the David Campbell one went through that exact process. There might be a discussion at the authority about the uh, draft report that will be discussed, worked over, alternative perspectives pursued. Finally, a draft report is sent to the broadcaster giving our preliminary view. And all of this, of course, is done under administrative law processes, natural justice, and the Broadcasting Services Act is rightly concerned about the ACMA as a model regulator going through these various stages. So it's sent to the broadcaster. They get... Uh, a feeling for our preliminary views, whether it's to find a breach or not to find a breach, either of the code or of a license condition or of a standard. But the broadcaster then has the opportunity to comment on on our preliminary report. That will then be recirculated within the team or the authority, depending on where it was in the first uh, time round. Uh, and then we will come to a final view. Then, again, consistent with administrative law practice, we send it to the broadcaster and anybody else who may be adversely affected by the report to give them what they call an opportunity under Section 180 of the Broadcasting Services Act to make some submissions as to whether they should be named or not. So that, that represents in practice, just a final opportunity for um, the broadcaster to say something about the report. And when we go through that process, then uh, we publish it as we did the other day. Sometimes that complete process will take only two to three months if it's relatively straightforward and uncontested. Sometimes it may take seven, eight months. The, the David Campbell one was in the latter category because uh, it's not an easy matter. There was some very important precedent in it. There are some very important and difficult trade-offs between the protections, the privacy protections, and, the, and, and are better articulating what public interest meant and how it might be applied. As a, as, a, as a general rule, I think we're averaging about four and a half months for the opening of an investigation to its completion. With the David Campbell case, the thing, the thing that got us at the time was the use of the footage to get a minister to resign. Now, at the time, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of controversy around uh, the New South Wales government and uh, the, it, it was explained to us by another journalist that the scalp of a minister was a very great prize. But the, the sequence of events that we understand happened was that Channel 7 filmed uh, what was essentially a, a private matter, made the minister aware of the footage and aware of the fact that they planned to air the footage, and then he resigned. But your, your media release and, and your uh, report says that the fact of the resignation meant that airing the uh, the footage was in the public interest. Am I right to, to think that the practices that happen before anything goes to air are not part of your jurisdiction? It's only what does go to air that you can uh, report on? You're 100% right. And this is not 
readily appreciated. I, I was listening very carefully to you and you talked about the ministers uh, having his privacy invaded at the time they surreptitiously filmed him and that's not something I'm going to comment on because that's not within our jurisdiction. The point you made and you're right is that our inverted commas assessment point inverted commas for the purposes of the code is understandably rightly only at the moment of broadcast. If there is no broadcast of material that breaches one's privacy or, is, or purports to or is argued to breach privacy, there's no role for the ACMA. So in this case, chronologically, Seven filmed the minister, Seven showed the minister the footage, the minister resigned and then later that evening in the Seven broadcast, uh, Channel Seven showed the material that otherwise invaded his privacy. So, so if, people, if people have a complaint... It might not actually be the ACMA's place to put a judgment on that complaint because their complaint might actually be more relevant to the MEAA based on the, uh, the, the acts of their members. Maybe their members are acting immorally using the power that they have over, over broadcast to create a result. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not going to comment on the pejorative word you use there, but, but your observation's a, a fair one that a lot of people who have express criticism about our decision are conflating the two or rather should be, I think, concentrating on expressing their views about Seven's behaviour in the first instance as opposed to the subsequent broadcast. It, it, it also doesn't follow that the resignation of itself gave rise to the opportunity to broadcast the material that would have otherwise been an invasion of privacy. If your listeners are interested and hopefully they read the report which is available on the ACMA website. It, it's, it's page 12 of the report that distills down the essence of why the public interest test was on balance accepted by the authority and I don't recall the last time we used on balance in a report. In other words, we found it a very difficult matter having very strongly reinforced the notion of the protections of privacy under the code to then find a non-breach because of the exoneration afforded by the public interest. But page 12 of the report says this, and it's, it's important to stress this because it takes us beyond the mere statement that the resignation alone allowed the broadcast because that's not right. We say that the, the then existing public criticism of the minister and the prior questioning about his discharge of his office, the sensitive public roles he had held or he then held and had recently held, being roads and transport, and prior to that, the even more sensitive one of police commissioner, the suddenness of his resignation and the lack of insight that the explanation for his resignation provided, where he simply said for personal reasons, was on this occasion a relevant and legitimate public interest, namely the need for a deeper examination of the circumstances behind the resignation. So it's only that relatively unique combination of circumstances that sat around the resignation that in our mind, on balance, afforded the, the broadcast protection uh, on this occasion. And I was at pains to point out in the media release that from a broadcaster perspective, I see it having relatively narrow precedent value. It has been put to me that there's open slather. People can threaten somebody, particularly people in the public eye and particularly politicians with some footage, force the resignation and off the back of the resignation then justify the 
utilisation of the material by broadcasting it. Well, for the reasons I've, I've been at pains to outline, it's not that simple. There are a lot of issues around this that add to, to muddying it. It's not just the privacy matter, but there is also a homosexuality aspect where a, a, a lot of people from gay rights lobbies through to just individuals are angry because it happened to a, a gay person. Mm. And he was outed as a result of this. Yeah. Again, no, and, uh, and, that's, and you're absolutely right. And that's probably the second thread that I've picked up over the last two days. There is some view, from my perspective, totally misplaced, but nonetheless, there is a view. And I'm not being dismissive of it. I'm just giving you um, some feedback on it that uh, somehow this was um, of a different nature because it involved homosexual behaviour as opposed to heterosexual. The test for us is neutral. We need to be able to satisfy ourselves that the test works in all occasions under all sexual preferences because uh, we don't feel any bias and we don't want there to be perceived as a bias but nonetheless some people have interpreted it that way which is unfortunate. If the decision had gone the other way, what are the likely outcomes for Channel 7 or for the journalist? Well, our, our, um, I'll, I'll take the last part first. Our, our relationship, the ACMO's relationship, is with the broadcaster. It's the broadcaster who's got the licence. It's Channel 7 has got the licence. And we don't have any relationship or privity with individual talent journalists. So if it's um, Sam Newman on the footy show or Carl Sandlands in radio, that's a matter for the licensee. Our, our relationship is with the licensee and our, and our sanctions, inverted commas, only relate to the licensee. So we're, we're uh, journalist, presenter, neutral, indifferent. That's not our business. With respect to uh, a licensee, if it's a breach of a code, in other words, if we'd found the other way that public interest test wasn't available, and therefore there was no exoneration for the breach of privacy, we would have found a breach of the code. I, I have to tell you in splendid isolation, there is no further sanction attaching from a breach of the code, a formal finding by the ACMA, other than the uh, public discussion it gives rise to. Having been in broadcasting for a long time myself, and this is not readily accepted, but I, I just know from um, having been there myself that broadcasters do take breaches of code findings very seriously. I, I know that's cynically received within a number of people in the broader community, but I know broadcasters do take it seriously. And the very discussion that's arisen as a result of our decision yesterday gives rise to a lot of discussion about the licensee, the broadcaster, you know, in terms of their brand equity, that is a matter that they take into account. It's part of their regulatory risk. But, you know, isolation, nothing flows from a breach of the code other than the, the sanction, the imprimatur of the ACMA in, in saying to the public, saying transparently that there's been a breach of the code. And, and that's because the, the code is actually agreed upon by the licensees. That's kind of common ground. We all agree to, to behave in these particular ways. Well, in a fashion, yeah. The code is developed by the industry and then presented to the ACMA who sign off on it, so to speak, as a code reflective of community standards. And that's the way the system works and the code was reviewed about 18 months ago. Free TV on behalf of the commercial television broadcasters reviewed the code. When that is put to us, we consult broadly with the community as does Free TV and we move ahead. But they're agreeing. They, they effectively sign up to broadcast and behave and transmit material consistent with the code. You wouldn't stand on the furniture in your own house. Yeah, yeah. If then there is a 
a pattern emerging with a broadcaster or the breach is so egregious that it requires further action or we have some apprehension that the licensee may recommit and I'm not seeking to sort of say they're the only indicia but if the, if it's our um, our guidance is given under the Broadcasting Services Act where they talk about uh, more out outlying behaviour or more systemic issues then we might put a licence condition on the broadcaster or we might seek uh, from the broadcaster an enforceable undertaking. For example, in the Sam Newman uh, footy case when he was a repeat offender, um, we were offered by the Nine Network a very intrusive enforceable undertaking with respect to um, extra protections they put in place in their production processes and in effect had a suspended fine built into it of something like $210,000 in the event of the next breach. The next step up is the imposition of a license fee or the acceptance of an enforceable undertaking in lieu of a license condition rather. I think I may have said license fee but license condition. If, if there's a concern right across the sector then the ACMA can in, seek to introduce uh, and often introduces a standard. You'll recall that back in 2000, the old ABA brought in a standard for uh, commercial broadcasting in the radio for disclosures, adequate disclosures, and that's a good example of where across the industry there was felt to be unacceptable practices. Now, a breach of a licence condition and a breach of a standard set off a whole new series of ACMA powers that uh, involve federal court action, can lead to suspension, could, loo could lead to um, the loss of a licence, although one would find it very hard to conceive of a licensee being so consistently reckless to ever be in those, uh, that territory. But there's a graded step under the Act, and it's consistent with that, there's a, a graded set of powers that the uh, ACMA has. You, you can see, though, why a, a, a lot of people feel that the SMA just doesn't really have any control because, the, I mean, the wordings are, are an undertaking. Phrases like that don't fill the public with confidence that things are actually being taken into account. It sounds like backslapping and, uh, and finger-wagging and, uh, and, and things like that rather, rather than actual, say, punishments, which is what people want. That's a, I, I recognise that that's a view. There are, I've put to you earlier my own view about how seriously I believe licensees and broadcasters take it. There are those who are in and around the sector who believe and understand that they take it seriously. I think if you spoke to any licensee, they would say they take it seriously. The Act itself um, suggests a, a co-regulatory approach and only in the instance of systemic or other issues should the ACMA have powers that equate to what you would say is punishment. The word undertaking, I, I just heard you say it doesn't amount to much, but it is an enforceable undertaking which uh, is enforceable by the federal court. It's not something that's lightly offered. It's heavily negotiated with the broadcaster and um, has some serious consequences in the event that it's breached. I think progressively over the last couple of years, the ACMA has, unlike its predecessor, the ABA, demonstrated time and again that it will step up and take some tough decisions. If you look at uh, the matters over the last couple of years, you've got breach of Californication, Underbelly, Gordon Ramsay, the footy show, any number of breaches in news and current affairs. There was the Channel 10 program, Big Brother, which led to enforceable undertakings. So I could give you a long list of matters where we have 
had to deal with very difficult subject matters and we have taken action. And we just need to continue to be consistent about that. And over time, I, I believe that public sentiment about that will, will change. But, you know, it's, uh, it's slow progress. I'm personally torn because, uh, you know, I get these releases from, uh, from the ACMA and, and I go, oh, well, that, that doesn't seem like they've done much. But then I also read all the news about the FCC in the U.S., and uh, and how ridiculously controlling they are uh, compared to the relative freedom that the networks have uh, here here in Australia, and I get confused. And I get in in two minds, and most uh, I think most people wouldn't even have that much information. So yeah, I think it's just it, it really is a, a matter of uh, public perception and and language used. If there is a a result from from the ACMA and the complainant is not happy, is there an appeals process? The decisions of the ACMA are reviewable within the federal court, within what they call the AAT, the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. And if someone was, I think, if someone was blatantly unhappy, they could complain to the Commonwealth Ombudsman that we had exercised our jurisdiction or prerogatives poorly. I've been chairman just on five years, to the best of my recollection, no matter has been, inverted commas, appealed, inverted commas, or referred to the AAT. So um, I think we've developed a body of work with strong precedents over the last couple of years that is standing the test of time, and um, I guess history will be our judge on that one. Well, Mr Chapman, thank you so much for joining us on BoxCast. No, not at all, and uh, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you, so thank you very much. Hi everyone, it's Nellie Thomas here, you're listening to Box Cutters, it's about cutting box. Um, not something that you'd normally say in polite company, but uh, in a podcast you get away with it. Tune in. Ah, one of the, uh, one of the very few advantages of not having Nellie uh, as a regular anymore is that we get to we play, play that play idea. again. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Uh, another, oh, I've ruined that completely. Ben Elton. Ben Elton. Ben Elton, uh, Toby Halligan, Brett Cropley, you both saw... Uh, I, I missed it on uh, Channel 9 as uh, it was going live to air at uh, 9.30 on Tuesday night, uh, as did uh, most of the population of this country. Uh, I, hang on, I, hang on, hang on. What do you mean most of the population of this country? Uh, four hundred thirty-five thousand, I believe, was the uh, the was average. Was the average how many how many people in this country? Twenty million, twenty-seven million. Right. So most of the population would be uh, at least ten some million. Right. Yeah. So you're saying most of the population saw it on Tuesday night? No, missed it. Right. Missed it. I didn't see oh, it on Tuesday night. Oh, you missed it on right. Sorry. My mistake. Luckily, some some uh, <laughs> sadist uh, actually recorded it and uh, uh, made it available to others who hadn't seen it. And uh, I, I, this is this is what I've put myself through for uh, for the listeners of Box Cutters. Yeah, I, I watched the whole um, thing. I did watch the whole thing. Toby, did you watch the whole thing? I, I've watched the the entire um, right. show. Uh, it was. Without a doubt, one of the worst... And I saw the first episode of Mick Malloy show. Uh, it was one of the worst I was first episodes the of that. <laughs> I, have, I have ever seen. And, and and what gets me about it is... I mean, and we've heard a lot about why it wasn't very good. But the, the reason I wanted to talk about it this, this week, and I, we're going to let it go, but uh, this weekend just passed mm. on TV Tonight... 
David Knox had an interview with Ben Elton where Ben Elton was saying that most people didn't like the show because it was too smutty. Yes. Uh, I Apparently believe, that's his takeaway message. Yeah, I believe most people didn't like the show because it wasn't funny or good. It, so it wasn't that it was just... It wasn't that it was too smutty. I mean, there were lots of knob jokes and, and, uh, and fanny jokes. Uh, Underline the, the fanny bit there the, several times. That, that that wasn't the problem. The problem was that it just wasn't funny. They started the show with... I oh, know, he's, he's adamant that uh, it's it's basically a grower like Little Britain or The Fast Show. Yeah, or Comedy Inc. Or Comedy Inc. Half of whom uh, are actually on the show doing the sketches on uh, Ben Elton Live from Planet Earth. Uh, the, the thing about Comedy Inc. was that nobody liked it. Uh, it certainly it just, didn't grow anywhere. No, it did grow to a much later time slot. What? That that it was the same size, but uh, actually just shuffling later and yeah, later. Yeah, it it's it's like the loser that uh, just keeps on on sleeping in longer. One of the <laughs> the profound problems was um, an example was there was a, a sketch about female bodybuilders, and <sighs> as I I was and and the the performer was a man and um Hilarious. was obviously a man. And it was just... A fat man. I just was like, why, why is this here? Why, why is this happening? Like, why... This is, female bodybuilders is not something I grapple with regularly. Well, like, was, it's, it's not a new thing. Like, I was, go to a gym that's covered with bobby, bodybuilder pictures, and even the gym doesn't have very many female bodybuilder pictures there. There was, nothing, not, there was nothing in the show that was relevant to actual human beings living in Australia. And then I think it's the core problem, like, that Elton isn't really connected, like, you know, because obviously he's done a lot of good stuff, as everyone, you know, has said at different times. But um, he... Doesn't seem but to... But everything that gets mentioned of his is uh, is him working with someone else. And that was that's an unusual aspect of the show, the fact that he's writing like he's the only writer. I don't know why that is, but that is certainly courageous. Uh, or... Just absolutely arrogant, or arrogant, or just or just flawed from the start of it. Speaking of arrogance, in that in that piece in TV Tonight, mm. he also says people didn't like, you know, the critics didn't like. We will rock you. Yes, and uh, clearly that was a stroke of genius. That musical, <clears throat> we will yes. rock you. Uh, the, he says the young ones was slagged off at first. Black Adder was hugely slagged. We will rock you was on the front of newspapers as the most badly reviewed piece of. Uh, theatrical in theatrical history uh, i'm not saying they're always wrong i'm saying it takes a moment for the public to decide their taste which is basically all he's saying is that people just don't understand that tv execs have historically let this turd run roughshod over all audience and critical bad reception yeah he uh he, he just he just doesn't get it because the if he thinks that what he put on tv last week was the equivalent of those other TV shows that he mentions, oh, as good as just needed a couple of little tweaks, is is what he's saying. Is, is, that's that's what he's saying. Yeah, uh, it was like they took the bounce off air. Channel Seven took the bounce off air. Yeah, and ABC. that was and that was at least I could watch that, 
ABC took Strictly Speaking off air. A lot of amazing shows have been canned. Mm. Yeah. Mm. He's also uh, complaining about the immediate uh, ability of the audience to actually uh, give their their uh, critique on the show through Twitter and other social. Oh, yeah, because networking. he hates he hates the internet. Yes, yes, he does. He and does. I just I I just have no time for for him or his show. And the thing is, what's angered me most is that because of our show, I have to watch this week's live from Planet Earth. To at least see if he's made any changes to the show so that I can be aware of it. Mm. He's created work for me where I have to watch his show by having such a crap show. And, and apparently... It's like the breakfast scene in Salo, I feel. I, see, I never watched Salo. It's, I didn't have to. <laughs> see? No, no. But this you right? do, yeah. I just don't... I don't want to have anything to it's just horrible it is it was a horrible sexist racist horrible piece of television that's really all i've got yeah there's, there's it was interesting that he played the race card about uh, if you don't watch this then all you're going to get is american sitcom bullshit that was odd uh, because <laughs> if, if you don't watch this, I mean, you're not going to hear an Australian voice on TV. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that's uh, Ben Elton live from Planet Earth that airs on Tuesday nights on Channel 9. Uh, apparently they have a deal where Channel 9 has to show five episodes. Really? Really? Yeah. Uh, if I was Channel 9, I would pay that contract out as quickly as possible. It's not mm. even like Jamie Packer's forcing the execs to do it this time. No. Mm. No, I think it's, it's. I think they're just lazy. They just have no idea. I think Channel 9 have no idea. It's not like their hair's on fire anymore. It's it's like they're all just, you know, in some kind of opium days mm. where mm. they have no idea what's going on. And clearly I uh, overstated my estimation when uh, this was first announced by 20% because it'll go to five episodes, not six. Yeah, Ben Elton, live from Planet Earth It can keep itself Hi, I'm Tim Ferguson And I listen, they listen And you should listen to Box Cutters They're sharp, they're small And you can take over your own jumbo jet with them Box Cutters That's impressive (laughs) (laughs) For a minute there I thought I was on live radio So I'm very scared now well, uh, well, Emma Magenta, uh, creator of the gradual demise of Philippa Finch, you are not on live radio, but we do pretend it's a live podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. So that's uh, that, that's how that. So so just you know, go with the flow. You, yeah, yeah. You're fine. Uh, it's very different to uh, to animation. I'm going to say, welcome to Box Cutters, Emma Magenta. Um, thanks for having me. It's been a, it's been an honour already. Oh. Excellent. Well, and that's uh, that's it for box cutters episode two. Oh no, is that that's not the. I've just clicked in into what this forum really is, but that's okay. <laughs> it just shows you what a luddite I really am, and how how have I come to make a multi sort of platform sort of project? But anyway, we'll get to that later. Well, you know, if you just want to keep asking my questions to you straight yeah, off, because okay. uh, that's that that, <laughs> that was, was the first question. that was my first question. How how does the uh, the uh, artist and writer of picture books? come to have her own TV series? Um, well, there's serendipity, but um, that's a bit of a groovy word, isn't it? But um, 
you know, like Rachel O'Kine approached me, she's the producer of Hopscotch, and said, do you want to create anything as an animation? And I thought, well, that's a pretty broad sort of umbrella to sit something under. But um, I kind of just went and wrote a book about it so that I could have something to work from. And then gradually I just started accumulating, um, you know, a couple of different mediums like book and a little script of a short film that started off with, first of all. And then we sort of fleshed it out into a series and then, you know, ABC said let's do a little game and I, I was kind of a bit, you know, only do let's do technological kind of um, side projects only if they have meaning. Like I didn't want to just sort of, you know, have gratuitous kind of other platforms. You know, it had to have some sort of context. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just, it just sort of evolved fairly because um, I worked with a great team. It sort of happened through... I kept meeting interesting people, like, say, the Based on Birds guys who did the interactive web page. Um, yeah, just meeting them and sharing my ideas of how that could work with them and with their genius, because they are pretty pretty good boys. So as a self-confessed Luddite, when yes. it comes to... Uh, when it comes to kind of directing someone to create a, a web page for you. Yes. How do you get to the same page? How do you get to the language and uh, find some common ground to, to discuss it? Well, to be honest, we did a lot of music playing together. Um, they came over my house and I made them a lot of lunches and um, we did a lot of human things for a while. Like we did everything on my territory first, how I like to do things, you know. And then um, we just talked about Philippa and how we see the world and... And fortunately, those boys just happen to be very organic kind of little beings who just use technology to put that feeling content out in the world. So, you know, they they were actually super easy to work with because I just had to express what my ideas were and they just made it all happen technically. And had you directed any animation before? No, this is my first go at it. So it's been kind of... It's been fun. I mean, I've, I've kind of been... Um, it's it's maybe that sort of fool journey where you just have no idea what you're doing, so you think, well, it can't be wrong because <laughs> I've never done it before. Be- because it's 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 really beautiful. I I, I was showing uh, Toby mm. uh, just earlier. I showed him the first five episodes, and uh, and you were blown away. Yeah, I th- oh, the tone um, was quite sublime. Like just it had kind of both a a whimsy and a sense of melancholy about it. Like, um, it's interesting that you haven't really been involved in kind of directing a project before because from the perspective of, like, uh, you know, watching a, a cartoon, it felt like it really translated all the emotions perfectly well. Like, it's hard to get cartoons right. Like, I think the the thing that really sprang to my mind when I was watching it um, was almost a Harvey Crumpet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Oh, thanks. I mean, on, that's that's a huge compliment. I mean, obviously, very different styles, but again, it yeah. does convey that, um, you know, there's a there's expression in the line, although obviously they use clay, right, or whatever, clay, different forms of, you know, different models to what I do. But, you know, there's, it's about the expression, I guess, of the character, um, you know, that carries that's what I believe, like in, um, in, in any sort of thing like that. It, it is about what the line creates, you know, when you draw or if it's... I, that's why I didn't really want it to be too overdeveloped or, or, or made too three-dimensional. Or I kind of wanted to retain a bit of that miffy look. You know, Miffy. Well, yeah. This is this is the thing. When when I first heard about the uh, uh, about the series, I was really excited because it was a two minute 
animated series for adults on yeah. the on the ABC. And the ABC, when I was growing up, had all the Dick Bruner stuff, but also yeah. had the red and the blue, and had all of these two minute animations that uh, that we saw heaps of again and again and again. Uh, and then there's nothing like that for adults. And I grew up with two minute animation, so I have short attention span. <laughs> So do I, in that sense. I mean, I like the immediatism of um, really quick things. I mean, all my drawings started off as just little quick drawings done with my opposite hands because I wanted that, you know, where you, before your brain kicks in trying to make it really good drawing or something. or You know, so the Miffy thing, I remember... I mean, I've still got all the really old videos. I've collected them from different op shops of Miffy because I really love that simplicity and... Um, there's just something absolutely naively gorgeous about that, you know, that I just wanted to emulate in some way through my own, my own travels creatively. One, so, of, yeah. one of the things uh, that struck me uh, in terms of, I mean, the, things like the red and the blue and the Miffy books, oh, the, the Miffy animated animations, are that they can be translated into any language. Yeah. Uh, did you think about that when you started putting English writing into the actual animation or uh, was was that you know I don't want to I don't want to ask a question and then have you go oh no I've just cut out a whole lot of markets no no the animators drew my attention to that but you know it's the writing is so um, linked with the drawing for me like which is why I really struggle to draw for any other sort of person mm-hmm. and their ideas because so I'm not too worried about, you know, throwing in the odd sort of uh, lines um, in in the animation because, you know, it, it it can be translated or it can be subtitled if they really want it to be there. Um, but I think no, I just rather stay stay with my vision rather than getting too worried about. Well, you know, one day it could be translated into you know, I don't know, Swahili or something. You know, I'm not going to worry about that at this stage. How much, uh, let's call it interference, how much interference did uh, Hopscotch or the ABC or any of the 79 different funding bodies that are listed at the end of every episode? Really? <laughs> well, um, well, you know, the process... I'll start first of all, is that the main bodies like ABC and Hopscotch have been incredibly generous with what they've let me do. Like, they haven't imposed any restrictions that I've felt. You know, maybe people who've created some of the more technical aspects might have... I don't know, if, but I haven't personally. I think I've been quite lucky. I mean, the fact that Hopscotch approached me in the first place um, just to say to create anything is pretty generous. Um, and But I suppose, you know, when you're going for funding, um, there's that element of... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not going to create a project just so I can get funding, you know, like sort of tailor it to meet a certain criteria or whatever. But I suppose um, probably the scariest one for me was, um, you know, maybe Screen Australia because I knew so many people, you know, obviously trying to get money from Screen Australia and I felt like this little project was such a little, you know, humble concept that there's no way in a pink fit uh, they'd be that interested but um you know that was the first time I really felt pressure or any sense that you know self-doubt or do I have to tailor it on any level but you know I just let it go I just thought well if we don't get the money we don't get the money and it will come from somewhere else or 
Um, but I, to be honest, I don't, I haven't felt restricted. I've just felt probably more ups and downs of self-doubt in whether the project will be appreciated by anybody. It's probably been my greatest the greatest obstacle on the path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually just wanted to ask uh, kind of another question about inspirations. Like, um, it sounds like Miffy was, you know, an inspiration for animation style. Um, yeah. During the first few episodes, it was clear that you've got um, a, a real fascination with, with language. Like, I think in one of the episodes, for example, like there are a whole series of words that are all written in quite a different style. And I was wondering where that kind of, you know, it, it was quite powerful uh, the way they connected with the the emotion and where where that kind of you know where you get that inspiration or that interest in language from well i'd say first of all my like originally would be my dad i mean my dad's a bibliophile um and i grew up just living in his his home library which was an entire room filled with books and so i, I was always sort of strongly motivated in that direction and i worked for 10 years at Berkeley books in Paddington. So I've always been pretty obsessed with with um, that world, but never really looked at myself. I don't look at myself like a writer. I look at myself more as someone who likes to draw but loves words, you know. Um, but I guess, you know, I love fonts as well. I love how um, you, a certain font will create a certain emotion. Um, and I do love collecting weird little words and saying them in sort of sentences that you wouldn't normally put them in or, you know, words that don't get used that much. I mean, I'm not particularly interested in contemporary language of sort of making everything abbreviated or I kind of like elongating words and putting them next to concepts that you wouldn't normally place them against. It's just more of a, it's more of a kind of just a fun thing I do. I, I don't, I'm not too conscious about it, but it's something I find I like doing. So, so how much of Philippa Finch is Emma Magenta and, and vice versa? Because, you know, she, she loves fonts and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, and she loves fountain pens. I'm guessing you love fountain pens too. Uh, she lives in Paddington. You worked in Paddington. Yeah, I guess, well, you know, um, yes, she is. Well, I guess all my characters are sub-personalities and the book, it's, the book and the animation are, um, you know, autobiographical, although the people involved have been completely, you know, reconfigured and embellished in some ways and given different names so that, you know, their kind of experience is protected as well. And it's also coming from my angle on things, so, you know, no one can fight you on your own experience, really, can they? But, um... You know, it's, it is it is my life, it is my my history, but it's also just my vision, my interpretation of it. But it, it's come out through this character that I consider is my controlling side that wants to sort of manage her emotions through various obsessive compulsive disorders. It's, it's, one of the things that I really enjoyed about it is the simplification of of real life things. So the the emotions are all there, but they are simplified uh the uh the images of people and birds are all there but they're simplified that the uh the words and the and the pictures go together so well but also in in very much an australian way oh good well that's 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 actually a really lovely compliment because you know because i actually think you know there's so much diversity in australia in our, our whole cultural 
makeup that it is nice to sort of have different views of that you know, rather than kind of obviously you know everyone's got their own sort of historical references of Australia and um, then there's the kind of I suppose you could say the cliches of what is, what is Australia so I, I do take it as a compliment that there is that you know Australians can see that that common ground there well, with with Laid starting last week on uh, on ABC and and with uh, Philippa Finch starting this week on yeah. ABC, it, it seems like you know t- to me there's finally an opportunity for uh, for relationships to be seen from an Australian feminism like, like an Australian feminine perspective. Yeah. Uh, with and and the two complement each other really nicely as well. I think. Yeah, well, look, I don't know much about the other series because my head's been so ensconced in, um, you know, various... <laughs> this the whole bringing together of this project. But, you know, I think what is nice is that, um, that yeah, the, that voice can be heard. And, I'm, I mean, I'm not coming from this raving feminist point of view because I actually don't feel like I need to shout from... Sorry, I, I misspoke when I said fe- feminist. I just meant feminine. Oh, no, no, but I'm just sort of, you know, throwing around out there. <laughs> like, I actually... Um, and just reiterating, in case anyone does think it's coming from that complete angle. But, um, no, I just, I, I just think it's nice to have a strong, powerful voice, and I think it's good to express that it's okay to be vulnerable, um, which is what Philippa is. I mean, she's kind of wearing her heart on her sleeve about everything, and, you know, I think that's okay. I think, um, I don't think it's an... And it shouldn't really be just an exclusive female experience either, like... Um, so it's actually exciting that all you mates are getting into it as well. So, um, well, yeah, yeah. we'll uh, we'll continue on with that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's a really beautiful series. Congratulations, Emma. Thank you Emma. very much. Yeah. Uh, the gradual demise of Philippa Finch starts this Tuesday, February fifteenth at ten p.m. on ABC One. It is repeated throughout the week on various other channels as well, and you can also see it on iView. There is also the website at ABC. Dot net dot au slash Philippa Finch, I believe. Yes, yeah, uh, And uh, Emma Magenta, thank you so much for joining us on Box Cutters. Thank you, boys. You've been most thrilling to talk to. Cheers. And um, we can have a cup of tea sometime. That'd be lovely. That'd be lovely. <laughs> if you watch one thing. Just uh, very quickly, because uh, long show. Brett Cropley, if you're going to watch one thing this week, what would it be? Feels long. Uh, this week would be Five Times, The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, which is a screening on Channel 11, uh, 10.30, Monday to Friday. It's not uh, Channel 11. Uh, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's making uh, it up. Channel, channel Seven, 10's, 9 and 10, that's all there is. Channel 10's uh, side channel, uh, particularly due to stuff like uh, after the uh, after Mubarak uh, finally stood down on Saturday, um, uh, there were there were various tweets around uh, citing or quoting him. Um, what do Egypt and Doctor Who have in common? As he put it, the triumph of romance and intellect over brute force and cynicism is that kind of insight with a with a uh, a geeky kind of sci fi background. That uh, that and you know it's not it's not overblown like uh, a lot of the earlier for the states uh, late night chat shows are. 
Um, it has a it has a talking robot as a sidekick. Um, it's quite a small audience, uh, and and it's really sweet. You know what I've discovered, Toby? And it's funny. Brett doesn't know what just quickly means. Uh, I would be watching the movie Extra Channels on Foxtel because they are free for, I think, two weeks. Is that a show? No, they're channels, entire channels. Ah. Uh, movie, movie one, movie two, movie extra. All those movie network <coughs> channels mm-hmm. are free for Foxtel subscribers for the next two weeks. That's what I'm going to be watching. Can you record everything off them? And, uh, uh, yes. Nice. And then, and then watch them post the... Uh, Post the two weeks. Have they have they programmed nice stuff there? It's you know usual crap, but it's movies I don't get to see otherwise. Fair enough. Toby, I would um, watch my comedy festival show Electile Dysfunction. If you're wondering why I'm announcing that in that what, way, it's on now. No, it's it's not. But I'm probably not. It's on this be, week. I'm not going to be able to do this. You know, in the lead up to it, because <laughs> I won't be on the normal show. Because and Josh, Josh, Josh was taunting the 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 title of my show. And so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, you know, it'll actually be on in mid-April, on our, on April twelfth onwards, uh, folks. You should get ready. April twelfth. Why so late? Why so late in the festival? Um, that was just uh, the deal I got with them, um, Third Gallery. They would only allow you the last uh, night of the festival. Last two weeks. Where can people? Last night of the festival. <laughs> Where can people a get tickets? Show run. Um, I've actually got a website. Uh, tobyhalligan.com and uh, there's a link to get tickets yeah on it. it's a pretty primitive link but there is a link that um, people can buy tickets from and so folks um, if you want to hear my amusing musings about politics then uh, and you know my life and other things and Josh Canal I just threw yeah. that out so if, oh, really, if people really, were, you, got, you got a tight five on me I got a tight I got a really tight five on you <laughs> really tight oh, so if people were impressed dirty. by your uh, your appearance on uh, strictly Brent. speaking um, then uh, I didn't appear on more that. of that, so, and, and so there's no way for people to show. see that right now. So, yeah. Hey, um, when I cast my pod, it's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters, pod, cast, done. Pork is on the table. Toby Halligan, did you have any trotters? Um, no, because it's hard to do when you're actually on air and. Uh, I was I was going to point out. That Are you going to say yes? I was going to make a joke about Ben Elton's show was competing against NCIS, a show that investigates death. But ironically, Ben Elton's show really was more. Yeah, I didn't really. Yeah, hey, you could have just something. said no. You could have just said no. You know, no I could have this week. You could have. I could have, but I'm ambitious. Yeah, fair enough. I discovered something on the weekend. Did you know that uh, the ABC's, the ABC's uh, news anchor on their 7 p.m. bulletin is uh, Dunn Greenscreen? Um, I I may have been dimly aware they, of that. They had a story that uh, that their newsreader over on on Saturday night was uh, was doing the uh, reading the story over the top of footage, and then it came back to the desk, and uh, it was just a, a blank set, and then suddenly she just reappeared like that. I don't understand why they why they maybe, use that technology. Maybe she's a genie. If yeah. uh, no. <laughs> No, that's not the case. Maybe it's television. Sure? Maybe it's you just were television. It's not magic. But I don't know why they introduced that How kind of that, for sure? that, yeah. that kind of extra complexity into just the seven pm uh, news bulletin. Are you saying that and genies shouldn't be hired as newsreaders? Is that genies what you're don't exist? It's just certainly not a genie. 
I don't know. You're saying she just appeared. It was empty, and then she appeared. Yeah, because somebody forgot to put put her little chroma key thing over the top of the background. I don't, up. I don't see how that's a thing. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't she understand why be. they why they do that. And I was quite surprised that they that they do that do that. I'm I'm surprised as well. They've mm. got genies. That's, uh, <laughs> That's, that's really impressive. Hey, uh, uh, we mentioned this last week, but we're looking for uh, videos of people to talk about uh, Press Gang and Degrassi, Degrassi Junior High, Degrassi High, uh, Degrassi's Summer. Next Generation? That's on ABC3 at the moment. Next Generation, if you're, uh, if you're into it. But this is more about the if 1990s. You're 14 now. It's more about the 1990s Degrassi for the uh, Acme show that is Box Cutters Presents 90s Nostalgia. John Richards and I will be hosting a night at Acme live in the studio talking about Press Gang and Degrassi and some other Hope he's better. And pieces. So do I. <laughs> so I also hope he's better because right. uh, that's coming up in it. When is it's, it? Uh, it's, it's the 24th. It's in like a month? No. No. It's not like in a month. It's like Thursday 24th week. 24th of Feb. The 24th of February. <sighs> Uh, you can get your tickets at uh, Acme if you go to acme.net and put in box cutters into the search. Have they simplified that search? The Acme website was really difficult to find stuff on yeah, for a long time. Yeah, it's still not great. Uh, it's still not great, but we're there. We're there. Can you put a direct link on the blog? Uh, there is a direct link on the blog, but I'll put Sweet. it into this, uh, into this episode as well. Good one. And that brings us to the end of Box Cutters. Episode 256. I want to say thanks very much to Toby Halligan for setting up the interview with Chris Chapman, the chair of ACMA. Uh, it was a fascinating discussion that, that we had, and I was very glad that we could bring that to you. Uh, even though it was drop of a hat, Toby called me up said, eh, do it! And I went, Bleh! I think we already told that story. Yep. Yeah, with exactly those noises. Yep. Exactly those noises. Thanks also to Emma Magenta, whose uh, TV series, The Gradual Demise of Philippa Finch, starts this Tuesday night, the 15th of February, yep. on ABC One at 10pm. And it is sublime. It really is. And, and it's, only, it's only about three or four minutes long, so don't Isn't tune in late. Minutes? Well, yeah, they've put two or three episodes together. Ah. Uh, so, so it's like catching Beached As, which was another thing like that on ABC. Yeah, but this is actually nice and good. Yeah, yeah. Beached As was a bit... Lame. Yeah, I didn't, didn't really like that one. No. It wasn't, wasn't one of mine. wasn't, no. wasn't fond uh, of that. that. That seems some of the, you know, the, the Sydney Mafia that puts on crap stuff. And that was If You Smoke One Thing with Brett Cropley. Until next week, my now... Oh, apparently Courtney Hocking going to be uh, in the John Richards chair yeah. next week. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm Toby Halligan. I continue to be Brett Cropley wondering what's happened to the outro. Catch us again next week. Same bad time. Same bad channel. And hey, let's be careful out there. Box Cutters thanks 3RRR, whose studios we use to record this podcast pretty much each and every week. This episode of Box Cutters was produced by Togi... To- to- Toby? Toby. Togi. Toby Halligan and myself, Josh Canal, with very special help from Brett Cropley and a sick John Richards. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go into the iTunes Music Store and leave a review or... Give us a five-star review. That'd be nice. It's been a while since we've had a review. Yeah. I challenge one of you this week to go and do that. Uh, You've thrown me now. You've totally thrown me. Facebook. 
Twitter. Sure. Facebook, we are facebook.com slash boxcutters. Twitter, we are boxcutterscast. Look out on the Acme website for the Boxcutters 90s Nostalgia event. Tickets are cheap and going quickly. So pick up some of those. Uh, if no, if they want to get in touch with us. Oh, hooray, at boxcutters.net or the Contact Us form on the blog at boxcutters.net. We it also wrangles the servers. Uh, Peter Wilson does that. He's our server wrangler. Good job. Brett Cropley is our audio engineer and magician. And magician? Yeah. I'm like a genie. You're like a genie, but with audio <laughs> instead of video. Fair enough. Is that it? Yeah, then we do our talking bit. But really, I've got nothing. Toby, have you got anything for this talking bit? Um, When's your comedy festival show again? So it's, it's April 12th. Yeah, it's on from April 12th. Right. In, um, in Chinatown, actually. In China? Gallery. Chinatown. In Melbourne. So it's the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. That is correct. And it's called Electile Dysfunction. Are you doing any gigs around town leading up to that? I'm not. I'm doing a lot of gigs in Canberra. In Canberra? Well, you know, we've, people from Canberra listen to this show. That's true. Whereabouts? I will be opening for Matthew Keneally for a series of gigs from March 8 to March 12. Matty K. You know what I think about Matthew Keneally? What? Like, funny, very funny. And those things that you do with him, the, the diaries, the, hilarious. Yep. dot au if people are interested. Absolutely hilarious. Uh, your, uh, your website, a little bit nicer than his. Really? Yeah, that's well, what I think. Thank, thank you for saying that. That's I, what I, think. I appreciate. I do appreciate that, Josh. Yeah, I think you, I, and I, you know, I'm surprised that he's headlining with that website. You know, I I am too. I am too. I've raised it before. Mm. Um, but yeah, apparently maybe he's, maybe he's spending uh, too much time writing good content to uh, be worrying about this website. You know who else has a great website? Yes, this guy. Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Cutters.